Traders Point, how we doing? Hey, so good to be with you. Everyone at the campuses, everyone watching online, welcome. So glad you're with us today. And for today, we are continuing in our series, What the World Needs Now. And this has been our summer series. We've had a great start. Can we just take a moment and give it up for Bart and Kyle leading us those first two weeks? Unbelievable job. But if this is your first time or maybe you've been gone for a while, let me catch you up with what this series is. What the world needs now is not us looking out at the world and culture and saying, hey, let me tell you what you guys need right now. We all love that person, right? This is a call to us, to the church, to followers of Jesus to say, hey, what the world needs right now is what God has graciously provided to me and to you. You see, the Bible talks a lot about who God wants us to be, more so than what he wants us to do even, but he wants us to be with him and to be like him. And so to do that, we've been studying this phrase that we see in the Bible called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. This is in Galatians 5. And here's what that is. The fruit of the Spirit is, come on, yes. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is God producing his character within us. This is God supernaturally planting within us and producing a fruit that only he can. This cannot be found anywhere else on the planet. This is God taking his character and saying, hey, I want my character to show up in your lives. And we actually get a, a short list of what that looks like in Galatians chapter 5. So take a look at this. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, what a list. And can we hold that up there for just a few minutes? I wanna talk through a few things. One, when we look at this list, if you wanna know who God is, he's all of these things perfectly. That is who God is. And I want us to draw attention to this word, fruit, because I know a lot of you right now, especially my grammar nerds are tweaking a little bit of like, he said he produces this kind of fruit, singular, but then list all these multiple things. Like how, what, I, I'm cringing right now. What does this even, what does this even mean? Well, I think we need to look at this from this idea that it is one fruit and it's a perfect piece of fruit. That all of these are not separate. They're interdependent. They, they hang on to one another. For example, if you look at this, real true love is not, you know, unattached from joy and peace. If you're going to have love, then it is a joyful love. It is a love that brings peace and a love that is patient. And on the flip side, when we look at patience, true patience, it also includes love and joy, right? I mean, on the surface, patience and apathy can really look the same. Like you might be looking at Bob like, wow, Bob is unbelievably patient. Bob has learned how to sleep with his eyes open. He's, he's not patient. He's unconscious. He, he's not lovingly participating in this thing. He is completely removed. 
So we need all parts of these. They, they go together to show what this fruit is that God is trying to produce in our lives. And I do think Paul, the author of this, is being very particular with his words. And he uses the word fruit. It gives you the picture of a gardener, of a farmer, right? You get the idea that this is something that is planted and that it grows little by little, time after time. And I think what I've seen, um, especially lately, is kind of our, our, the way that we approach our faith is very much like, hey, we have an organic faith. It's a natural faith. And I hear what you're saying. We're swinging from that pendulum of like cold religion where we just do and we focused on what needs to be done and we shift all over here. But I do want us to focus on this, that organic doesn't mean spontaneous, right? Like organic farmers don't just find spontaneous fields of fruit, right? There's not a farmer out there today like calling his wife, like Martha, you will not believe this. I found another one of these fields, perfect, just filled with corn or soybeans or if there's anything else we can grow here in Indiana. It's just, it's just here. Look at this. No, organic does not mean spontaneous. Organic actually means hard work. But I want us to look at this because I think some of us have been confused by this. Some of us have been confused by a spontaneous baptism that didn't lead to spontaneous spiritual fruit. Like you heard the message about Jesus. You gave your life, you were baptized, and you came out of that water, and you thought immediately there would be spiritual fruit just everywhere in your life. Like you would just come up and be like, just love and joy and peace and patience. Like this is amazing. Look at who I am. But then you got baptized on a Sunday, and you went to work on a Monday, and you were like, Wait a minute, I'm still kind of a jerk. <laughs> did we do it wrong? Was there, did I miss a step? What happened? But I think we need to see that spiritual fruit is different than spiritual gifts, and it's different than baptism. The baptism that you had was really kind of tilling the soil, it was you dying to yourself, and now you're in a place where you can actually yield this kind of fruit that God wants to produce in your life. But it's not an overnight thing. It is, it is day by day. It is little by little. And I think someone today just needs to be encouraged by this, that just because the fruit isn't showing up spontaneously or all at once doesn't mean that something went wrong. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you that God is going to develop this kind of spiritual fruit in your life, but we have to give it time. And I think that leads us to a perfect segue to what we're going to be focusing on today, which is this part of the fruit, patience. Patience. And let's just kick it off. Are you a patient person? If you've already answered that question in your head, you're probably not. Yes, yes, I'm a patient person. Get on with the next thing. <laughs> Maybe a better question is, would the people in your life describe you as a patient person? 
It's a tough thing to do in our culture, in our society, because we don't have to be patient very often. Things move so seamlessly, they're so quick, we can get things instantly, that we're never in a position really where we have to be patient, where we have to wait for something. So when we do, we're kind of uncomfortable. That's why I'm thankful for the time that I grew up. I, I grew up in the 1900s, okay? And <laughs> you had to be patient for a lot of things, even trivial things that we just take for granted now. Like even something simple as watching TV, wanting to know what is going to come on next. Do you remember this? There was no way to know. You didn't know what was coming. The only way you could know was there was this one channel. It was a TV guide channel that scrolled through. <laughs> and you would go to this channel and you would wait. And I promise you whatever channel you were looking for, this guide was on the opposite side of it. If you were looking for ESPN, which is channel two, it was on channel 90 and you had to wait. If you were looking for Nickelodeon, channel 40, Cartoon Network 41, MTV, 51, BET, 62. I promise you, whatever you were looking for, this thing was on the other side, and you had to wait for it and wait for it. Even things like commercials. You know, uh, we have three kids, and we've never had cable in our house, but we were taking a family vacation. We're in a hotel. We set the kids down. They're watching a show. And then a few minutes later, we hear them yelling from the other room. They're like, Dad. And I go in there, and they're like, Skip the ad. How do we skip the ad? I'm like, you can't skip these ads. You have to wait patiently for your show to come back on. I mean, think about how much access we have to anything that we could possibly want. With our phones, immediately we can get it no matter what. But back in the 1900s, do you remember? To try to get on the internet, Oh my gosh, it was a whole day venture. You had to go to the one spot in your house, if you had it, that one computer, you had to wait about 45 minutes for this beast to turn on. And then you would click and you would click and you would click and then finally you got to the spot where you would go to open the internet. Oh! Who decided on these sounds? Who was like, this will help him wait? And you would wait and you would wait. And usually about now is when someone would try to make a call. Disconnected. Try again tomorrow, all right? I'm not doing this again. But there's so much now that I would say we need patience for. And we need to be able to create that within us. Like that's what God is trying to do. He is supernaturally trying to place patience in our lives. For us to be able to carry and to have the same kind of patience that he has with us. And maybe that one's hard for you to hear. Because you have a few thoughts about God, but none of them really lead you to this idea of there being a patient God. I hear about this sometimes when I sit down with someone or I see them post something about who God is, that he's just angry and he's quick to act and, and he does all these things, especially they kind of separate God into two different gods. Like there was the God of the Old Testament who, boy, was he angry. But then, you know, he grew up a little bit and he had a kid, kind of settled down. 
And now he's much more at peace and he's more patient. When I hear people talk about that, it's pretty clear that they haven't read the Bible. Because the Bible from cover to cover is this incredible, almost painful love story about a God who loves these people so incredibly much that he tries over and over and over again to have a relationship with them. But that love is never quite reciprocated. But he never gives up on them. That's the story of the Bible. And that's even how God describes himself as a patient God. In Exodus 34, right after he has rescued his people from slavery, he's pulled them out of Egypt, and he's starting this relationship with them. He wants them to know who he is. Look at the way he describes himself. He says, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I have lavish, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. That's the God we serve. That's the God of this universe. And that's the God who wants a relationship with you. That he is slow to anger. We tried, we tried. I was patient. I was patient for it. Uh, didn't quite come. But that's, that's, that's another word for patience. In, in Galatians chapter 5, the word we translate as patience, the actual, the, the root of this word means it's long-suffering. Long-suffering. That's the ability to endure for a long time. That's the ability to persevere without wanting to retaliate or seek revenge. The ability to be content in all circumstances. So now let's go back to that question I asked earlier. Are you a patient person? How about now? Do you have that ability to endure for a long time? Do you have that ability to persevere? It's not just a passive thing to be patient. It's not just us waiting, but it's being able to move forward with what God has for us. Without retaliating, without seeking revenge, do you have that? Do you have this patience that allows you to be content no matter the season you find yourself in or no matter the person you find yourself on the other side of? Do you have patience? Because I think for us to be able to, to have that idea that long suffering, we need a long fuse. Do you have a long fuse? Do you know what I mean by that? Like, I, I think a lot of us have some short fuses, and not for all people or all areas of our life, but there's a few. Where it's just a little fuse. When somebody lights that fuse, we are exploding right there in the moment. But if we're going to be able to be patient, we need, we need a long fuse. You know, when I was growing up, I was just, just a little guy. And I remember I was outside. I was walking down the street. And this was around 4th of July. And I saw on the ground a firecracker. And I picked it up. I had never had a firecracker of my own before. And I did what all boys would do in this situation. I picked it up. I looked at it. And I took it inside. And I said, Ma, Pa, I found this firework outside. And I just want to make sure we dispose of it in a responsible way. <laughs> and make sure no one gets hurt. I'll be out cutting the grass. I'll see you guys. No. 
I picked it up. I snuck into the house. I took a lighter. I made my way back outside. And I didn't even make it to the sidewalk before I tried to light this thing. And it was the smallest little firecracker and the wick on this thing. I mean, back in the 1900s, there must have been a shortage on fuses because they only gave you about this, this much. And I'm holding this thing as tight as I can, wick just barely over my finger. And I'm trying to figure out how to work a lighter and light this thing. And finally, flick, flick. As soon as it touches, I realize I have done this wrong. I don't even have time to throw it. I just release it from my hand and it explodes. And uh, my eyes are closed, but I can feel the heat and the pain radiating from my hand. I'm afraid to open my eyes though, because I think I've lost my hand. <laughs> but I open my eyes and you know, I'm okay. I still, I got both of them. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't messed with fireworks in 20 years, but that's neither here nor there. But does anybody feel like that firecracker? Like you just got this little fuse and you don't want it, but it seems like everywhere you go, week in and week out, there comes a time where people push you and then you explode and you set a fire everywhere you go. And you don't want to live like that. I don't want to live like that. And what God wants to produce in us is a long fuse. This idea that when someone tries to set you up, to set you off, is a long time from here to there. But it's not even just that. It's not just extending that fuse. God actually wants to produce within us the kind of character that when we are tested, when our patience is tested, we still hold on to things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. It's just to hold on to all of that even in the midst of being tested. Does anybody want that kind of a life? Anybody want that kind of patience? I do. But maybe some of you are like, I'm, I don't even know. Is, is patience really that spiritual? Is it a spiritual thing? And I hear you. But uh, there's actually a theologian who would disagree with you almost on the complete other side. He goes as far as to say that impatience is at the root of all sin. Think about that. Why? Why did you sin? Why did you lie? It's because you were impatient. Why did you steal? Why did you cheat? Why did you cut the corner? Why did you cross that line sexually? What is it? it well, it's a, it's a lack of patience. We become impatient with other people. We become impatient in the, in the moment. We go, become impatient with God's way of doing things. And we say, you know what, I'm just going to step over here and do this. That I, I'm telling you, if we want to be a more faithful group of people, if we want to follow Jesus better, if we want to live the lives that he has called us to and to love people well, and we're going to have to be patient. So what I want to do with the rest of our time here is just to, to look at some of those things. What can we do as a people to become more and more patient? Because that's what the world needs from us as a church. To be patient with ourselves, to be patient with others, and to be patient in the seasons that we find ourselves in. But how do we do that? And I'm going to give us a few things. And the first one I'm going to give you, it, it, I'm going to be honest, it's not fair because most of us can't do it. But to be honest with you, it's the best thing that I've seen that produces patience in other people's lives. And it's this. 
become a grandparent. Have you met these people? Listen, I know my parents very well. We were roommates for a long time. We did life together. I know how they respond to things. And I'll be over there hanging out at their house and I'll bring all my kids and my kids are kids, you know, and they'll be in the living room. They'll be making a mess. They'll be yelling, they'll be fighting. And then I'll see my parents go to walk that way. And at first I'm like, oh no. But then I'm like, oh, y'all gonna get it today. Y'all need this. You need this kind of discipline that we got in the 1900s that built the fortitude that I have. But then they make their way over there and they are completely different people. Suddenly, they understand the concept of a second chance. <laughs> They've exchanged phrases like, oh, you're going to cry? I will give you something to cry about for, hey, are you okay, buddy? <laughs> okay. Oh, no, that's okay. You didn't mean to set that place on fire. Come here. Give me a hug. <laughs> I'm like, who, who are you? But we all can't do that. Um, I can't wait to know what that's like, though, but that'll be great. But for all of us, what can we do this week to kind of help? Because remember, this is that, that farmer analogy. This is us co-laboring, co-partnering with God to produce this fruit. We do what we can and trust that God will do what only he can. So if we want to become more patient, then I think there's three things that we can focus on. And that's the pace of our lives, that's the perspective we approach our life with, and that's our prayer life. Those are the three big things that I think if we want to focus on God growing patience within us, then we need to focus on these three things. And the first one is pace. Looking at the pace of your life, how would you describe it, right? I think for most of us, we run so fast that we are in a hurry from here to there. And I'm telling you, the faster you move, the quicker you become impatient. Think about that. When you're in a hurry, everything becomes a problem. On a Sunday drive, when you're just going through, you got nowhere to go, nowhere to be, a red light is not a problem. It's great. I'm just sitting here. When you hit that same red light and you're late because you're running from one meeting to the next, the idea of a stoplight is now the dumbest invention you have ever heard of in your life. Why do I need someone to tell me when to stop? There's nobody even here. I could go if I wanted to. When you're in a hurry, everything becomes a problem. Like when you're sitting down for dinner with your family and say you got three little kids, hypothetically, and they're eating and they're taking forever, that doesn't bother you because you know kids are kids, right? Unless you're already thinking about what you need to do next, the thing you need to schedule, the work you need to do, then you become very impatient when they spill water. You become very impatient when they tell you that they don't eat chicken nuggets anymore, even though they ate chicken nuggets less than 24 hours ago. <laughs> but when we're in a hurry is when we become quickly impatient. You know, there was a pastor who was starting out and he was talking with a mentor and he said, hey, how do I have a spiritually healthy life? What are the, all the things that I need to do? And he asked this guy named Dallas Willard. And this is what Dallas said. He said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And he said, sounds great. What else you got? <laughs> he said, that's it. That we need to take a look at the pace of our lives 
and realize that we are not machines. We need to build in margin, build in space to slow down, to be ready for whatever we are going to face on the other side. I'm telling you, mornings are a great time to do this. And I hear people talk, I'm just not a morning person. I'm telling you, it is better to become a morning person than to live as an impatient person. That if you can spend the first part of your day focusing, praying to God, sitting with God, having some moment of silence and solitude, it will help you prepare for whatever it is to come. That whenever you build in the rhythms that God places before us of like a Sabbath, which is just one day every week where you stop from the hustle and grind and the fast-pacedness of life and to say, no, today I pause Today I reflect. Today I feast. Today I celebrate all that God has done for me. I give that work. I hand that work over to him. I know it will be there for me tomorrow. But this world is going to keep spinning and I need to know that. That's the first thing. We need to check our pace. A lot of times that's leading to impatience. And then the second thing I would say is our perspective. The perspective that we approach life with, both with relationships with other people and with the perspective that we have on the seasons of life that we are in or that we will find ourselves in. Perspective. Because I don't know about you, but I want to be a patient person. It's the people that won't allow me to do it. I try so hard. But I'm telling you, if we can have the right perspective and just be reminded of who we are and who we're not, it'll help us have a whole lot of grace for the people we find ourselves with. Take a look at this verse, and and I think you'll know what I'm talking about. It says, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience. Did you catch that? This guy, this is Paul. I mean, started off a little rough, but I mean, definitely not the worst sinner that we could think of. Did incredible things. But he's the worst sinner that he knows because he knows himself better than anyone else. And he says that he is a prime example of God's patience. Like when God is talking about and bragging about how patient he is, he's using us as an example. Of like, you want to know how patient I am? Look at how patient I am with Ryan. What a dummy. He just keeps doing the same things over and over again. But look how patient I am with him. Even with the worst sinners. Then look at this. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. It's this idea, if I'm waking up and I realize I'm the worst sinner that I know. And I know that I am the Mona Lisa of patience for God. Like I am his masterpiece. That he has to to use so much patience with me. Now I'm at a place that when I meet someone that we don't immediately connect or I get frustrated or they push my buttons. No, no, no. I'm at a place where, okay, now I have empathy. Now I have understanding. Now I have a better place to come from than me as this superior person trying to get this person to understand where I'm coming from. Right perspective. In your life right now, is there a person in your life that you struggle to be patient with? I'm telling you, you, the pace that you're running at probably isn't allowing you to have that conversation. Saying, it's fine, I'll deal with it when I deal with it. Or they would just never understand, or they are actually hopeless anyways. I'm not going to waste my time. But I'll tell you, patience will allow you to slow down and have a 
a crucial conversation. It'll, it'll allow you to step in and to see what's going on here. Is there an expectation that's not being met? Did I miss something? Is there something I need to clarify? Is there something that I need to own? Patience will slow us down to a place where we can actually love people really, really well. Because impatience with one person will eventually bleed over into impatience with everyone else. So that's the patience, the perspective we need with other people. And I'd say the other thing that we need perspective for is the seasons that we find ourselves in. Most of my life has not come to a place where I was like, yep, this is exactly the way I planned it. This is exactly how I would have done it. No, we all find ourselves in seasons that we wouldn't have picked if it were us. But that doesn't mean that we're in a wrong season. It doesn't mean we need to just wish it away. But here's the truth that we can hold on to. I can wait patiently because this season has a purpose. I can wait patiently because this season has a purpose. I don't need to wish it away. No, what, what I need is now not for God to remove me from this season. Now my prayers change. And instead, God, allow me to suffer well if I need to. God, allow me to endure. Allow me to persevere through this. Allow me to be content and allow me to, to see what it is that you have for me. I mean, I think about it like this. Like, have you ever been driving on a road trip and you're making your way down and then you hit road construction? And I'm telling you, there's few things in life that I despise more than road construction. And you know the type. You mean you always hit it when you're going down and you're going through Atlanta, all right? I don't know what you guys are doing down there. It's just always, um, we're just always going to be doing something. I don't know if it's because you're upset that people go through you to get to Florida. I don't know what's going on. But it never fails. You get to Atlanta and then you slowly start to feel those lanes come in. Four lanes, three lanes, two lanes, one lane. What are we doing? I will get off at the earliest exit and take back roads from here to Florida so that I do not have to sit and be in a car that can go 100 miles an hour, or at least that's what I've been told, <laughs> and to sit there and not move at all. From my perspective, I just rolled into a mess. I just rolled into something that is completely not put together. But if I have a different perspective, if I pull back for a second, is that true? Is this chaos? Is this just a mishap? No. This was actually very thoughtful. What's happening here is actually going to make this experience better. There's actually going to be something that's produced during this work that is getting smaller for a second, but then there will be a season where it's better. There's actually a lot of people that know what's going on here. There are hundreds of people working on this job site. And hear me when I say this. There's actually a blueprint of what this thing is going to look like when it's all said and done. What if we could see life the same way? That the seasons we find ourselves in, they have purpose in them. 
that we're not just showing up to a dead-end road, but God is going to use this construction site, this slowness that we are finding ourselves to produce something within us that only this season could produce. And he's going to say that nothing is wasted. I will use every bit of the suffering that you go through. And then you can hold on to this and you know, I got a blueprint for the way this thing shakes out. There's going to come a time when this road opens up. There's going to be a time when I come down to be with my people and Every tear is wiped away. That there is no more pain. There is no more struggle. There is no more sounds of connecting to the internet. There is no more road construction. There is no more cancer or death or pain. Hang in there with me. And that leads us to the last thing with our perspective. We're going to hold on to a new perspective. We're going to be patient. And we have to hold on to hope. You see, to have patience, we must remember the hope we have in Jesus. There's this direct tie between patience and hope. And the situations in your life, when you find yourself that you are becoming impatient is because you are losing hope. You've said it once, you've done it once, you've tried it, you've went months and weeks and years, and now you're brought to this place where I do not have hope that anything is going to change. So then you become impatient. Then you become to find ways to move around this. But for us, as followers of Jesus, we have a hope that can never be taken. We have a hope that no season can overshadow. We have a hope in the name of Jesus that nothing can stop or triumph over. We have a hope and a power and a strength within us that says no matter what we face, no matter the struggle, no matter the pain, no matter the situation, no matter how bleak or dark it looks, I have a hope with me that says my God can overcome. My God can prevail. My God can use me. My God can bring me back to life. I believe in a God that knows no bounds. I believe in a God that is the hope of the world. And as long as I can hold on to hope, then I can hold on to patience. So that's the perspective we need, to remember who we are, who others are, to remember the seasons we find ourselves in. God has a plan for this and to hold on to hope. And the last thing that I would say is that we just need to pray for it. Like I said, this organic process that we're going through to be formed into the image of Jesus is one that takes work. And prayer is one of those things that we collab with God on, that we get before him and we pray. I'm telling you, if you've ever seen a patient person, you've seen a prayerful person that has spent a lot of time before God. So what I just want to give you today is a prayer. And it's not an exhaustive prayer. It's just a prayer to get you started this week to begin to ask God for patience. And it will be on a few different slides. So feel free to take a screenshot and to take it with you and to make it your own this week. But here's a prayer for, for all of us. Father, produce in me your perfect patience. Give me the ability to endure for a long time, to persevere without wanting to retaliate or seek revenge, and to be content in all circumstances. Allow me to extend to others the same patience that you have already graciously extended to me. Help me to become more and more patient by constantly remembering the hope that I have in Jesus. 
That's a prayer. That's a prayer that we can all pray and begin our days this week. And that's a prayer that I've seen God answer in my own life and in lives of those around me. For others of us that are here, I want to speak to you for a second because maybe this is all new to you. This idea of a patient God, of a loving God, of a gracious God, of a relational God. To you, maybe it's always felt like God was a little distant. God was always a little bit removed, that he wasn't showing up when you wanted him to show up. That's been a thought that has been in the back of the minds of humanity for thousands of years. But I I want us to look at what it says in 2 Peter because I think it could help someone today. It says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed but wants everyone to repent. Don't mistake God's patience for slowness or that he's being absent, that God is here every step of the way, that since the beginning, since God brought creation into existence, he has desperately wanted a relationship with us. And he was so patient over and over and over again, and humanity turned its back on him until finally he said, you know what, I'm going to send my one and only son. And Jesus would come and he would live this perfect life, the life that me and you could never live. And he held on and he actually reciprocated that love back to God. And his reward was a painful mistrial. His reward was an execution, an assassination. He was brought to a cross and he was murdered. But when he went to that cross with him, He took every bit of sin, every bit of shame, everything that was separating us from God and completely removed it. It was nailed to that cross. And when they took him off that cross and put him in the tomb, there is where all of that stayed. All that condemnation, all that sin, all that separation is now there. But Jesus rose. Jesus rose on that third day and now offering a relationship for me and you to have with the God of this universe. A God who wants us to be with him and to be like him. A God who wants to produce something supernatural in our lives. A patience that will carry us from now until the day that we are with him for all of eternity. That's a relationship that you can have right now. At all of our campuses, we'll have people at the front of the stage after the message today that would love to just meet with you and to pray with you talk about what it means to follow Jesus. And for followers of Jesus, I would say what the world needs right now from you is patience. Especially coming off of the week that we just had, the decision on Friday by the Supreme Court it, a decision that big, that monumental, it provoked all kinds of responses and actions in a lot of different people. And some of you know that our lead pastor, Aaron Brockett, is on a study break right now, that he's actually out, um, scheduled some time to be with his family. He's completely unplugged at this time. But over the past couple of days, I actually got to catch up with him and talk about um, what we need to say as a church, who we need to be. And so if he was here, this would be the message that he would be delivering as well. But for all of, for for 
Christians, for followers of Jesus, we will always celebrate life. We celebrate life because every single life is so uniquely special and valued because every person is made in the image of God, the author of all things. And in Jeremiah, God says that before you were in your mother's womb, before you were formed there, I knew you. But we also see in James that as the body of Christ, we are called to love and to care for all lives outside the womb as well. Especially those that are vulnerable. James tells us that this is true religion, that you would care for the widows and the orphans. So that is exactly what we are going to do. There's this messed up piece of our culture, this either or part of our world, where it says that you, you have to either be for the rights of the unborn or either for the rights of women. And that is a false dichotomy. We believe we can do both. We believe we are called to do both, that the greatest commandment is to love God and to love people. That's what we are gonna do. We are gonna love, defend, care, serve, provide for, be there for both. That is the church, that is who we are. There is no legislation that changes our plan of what we're gonna do moving forward. We've already been about our Father's business that we have a fam ministry, a foster and adoption ministry. We foster kids, we adopt kids, we provide care communities to help support. We helped bring what's called a care portal where we work directly with DCS to provide families with what they need so that they don't get removed from their families. We provide beds and other essentials. We partner with organizations here in our city and around the world to care for vulnerable children and women. And we are not going to stop. But what the world needs right now, it's not keyboard warriors who are making these big posts. What the world needs now is a display of love and care and affection for all people. There are people, there are people in our church. This isn't people outside or in the world or in the culture, there are people in our church that the news on Friday brought very different emotions for. Some celebrated and some were crying. Now is not the time to do what I heard one pastor say, a victory lap. It's to see people on the other side of viewing it completely different than you and to saying, hey, can we sit down and have a conversation? Can you help me understand why you're crying? in a moment like this. And for the other side to say, how could you possibly be celebrating in a time like this? 
And for us to have the patience that allows us to sit down and to not worry about making a point, but making a difference and loving people with the love of Christ. That's the church that we are called to be. The church that steps into this and says, says what Paul calls us all to say in Galatians. Where he says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. That is what we are about. That is what the world needs. So what I want to do right now is just ask everyone to stand at all of our campuses. What we're going to do now is I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. We're going to worship and we are going to surrender because we know that is the only help, the only hope that we have in this is that Jesus would work through us, that he would lead us into what is next. And then we're going to worship. Would you pray with us? God, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for the hope that we have in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the hope that we have in your spirit. God, that is what the world needs. Men, women, and children filled with your spirit. God, we pray that you would produce spiritual fruit in our lives, that you would lead us that it would no longer be about us or our agendas or what we want to see happen. But God, we have truly been crucified. It is no longer we who live, but you who live in us. God, I pray that it is less and less and less of us and more and more and more of you until it is Christ alone. God, in these moments, we surrender. We hand over the way we've been doing it. We hand over our opinions, our ideas, our wants, our desires, and we trust that you will produce something so much more than we could ever even ask or imagine. So God, we lay all of this at your feet. We surrender and we ask for even more and more of you, Jesus. It's in your perfect name we pray, amen.